0: So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. You can go get a degree in the Bible in four years, and yeah,
1: you might sweat a little bit with some exams and and getting your papers in and everything else that's required. But the character development's a completely different issue. And yet that's the one thing God's people don't look at. You don't look to see, and I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying we aren't looking to see whether or not the lives of the messengers line up with the message. But John's looking. John's looking, and indirectly the people are watching John as he deals with him, and I guarantee you the people are now paying attention to this. Jesus will draw attention, just as I read that passage to you from Matthew. Jesus draws attention, says, do what they do. But do what they say, but don't do what they do. He's making the distinction. He's saying to them, too, you should be looking. The congruency of the life with the message is so important, folks. And I'll be honest with you. When I don't see a congruent life, the message to me becomes meaningless. It becomes meaningless. It's not trustworthy. So I invite you, look at my life. Look at the lives of those who you listen to. Examine them closely and look and see. Is there a congruency with the life, with the message? And if there's not, then it's time to start listening to someone else. Anyways, so John calls them out. But look here. He goes on in verse 8. He says this. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree's Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's immediate response to these men, it's clear. It's clear, if you're, you're really interested in escaping the day of wrath, which is why they're coming, because he's been preaching that that day of wrath and judgment of God is going to come, if you're really interested in escaping the day of the coming day of wrath and you're sincerely interested in, in God's righteousness and His kingdom and His righteous kingdom, then there are two things that you need to do. Number one, bear fruits worthy of repent, of repentance. In other words, repent. And let your repentance be evident. Let your repentance be evident. Secondly, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, stop basing your spirituality on your lineage as a Jew and take responsibility for it personally in your relationship before God. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bare fruits in the, in the Greek is in a, in a tense, which means that John was placing an expectation of a lifestyle change to give evidence of a true change of heart, which is what repentance is, the change of heart, the change of mind. But he's saying that there's an expectation of a lifestyle change to come from that. Now, some people don't like this verse, or what they suggest is it's no longer applicable because the they think that it takes away from the truth of salvation by faith. It suggest that John was, wasn't wrong in saying this before Jesus arrived, but, but since Jesus finished the work of the cross, it, it somehow has no relevance to people anymore. But that's not the case. That is not the case. John is simply telling them that if these men sincerely wanted to find salvation, then it required repentance, which if genuine would lead to change of heart, I didn't say behaviors, would lead to change of heart, which would then produce an opening in their lives for God to begin to produce good fruit in their lives, just as we talked about when we began this passage last week. It's a matter of the cart before the horse argument, but like I said to you guys last week, it's the relationship, it's the relationship, it's the relationship that comes first. It's the change of mind, it's the understanding that in and of myself, I can't be what's expected of me to be. I can't be good enough, I can't try enough, I can't work hard enough, I will never measure up to the standard that God has, but what he's offering to me is a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, who then, through that relationship, gives me a new Heart places his Holy Spirit in my life, gives me, uh, makes me a new, brand new creation. And from that, now the doors are open for the behavioral change to come. John isn't saying anything different. And what John is saying is true before Jesus came as much as it is after. Nothing has changed. Salvation comes by believing faith in Jesus, but believing faith in Jesus and the salvation that he will give to us will produce, and I say will produce, good fruit in our lives. And throughout the Gospels, we see references to the fruits, repentance, and salvation is meant to produce in us. We see these contrasts between good fruits and bad fruits, and Jesus will talk a lot about that. We'll come to those in, in the in the Gospel of Luke. Paul talks about it when he gives the, the works of the carnal flesh in, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, and then contrasts it with the good fruit of the Spirit, where he picks up in verse, I believe it's 19, and he begins to talk about the fruit, I'm sorry, verse uh, 22, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He contrasts these. This good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, begins with repentance, which leads to a change of mind and heart and leads to a belief in Jesus, which then leads to salvation, which then leads to an impartation of God's Spirit, which as we yield to God's Spirit and His work in our lives will lead to fruit production. Salvation doesn't begin with good fruit, but it most certainly leads to good fruit. And John is not saying anything different here to these men. He's simply challenging them to look at the fruit of their lives so that they will see how far off the mark they really are and so that they will change their thinking, so that they will change their behavior, not through personal effort, but simply so that they would repent and believe in the work that God wanted to do in them, which would ultimately bring about fruits worthy of repentance in their lives. And so it is for all of us. And I hope you understand that. You know, I think back to my my early life and before Christ, and I've shared many times with you guys who've been here over the years. But moms, if you're out there, I would have been the kid you wanted. I was the perfect kid. I didn't complain about going to church. I loved going to Sunday school. I had my little bow tie on all the time. If I played in the dirt, I came right in and washed my hands. I couldn't stand dirt under my fingernail. And then I joined the army. Doesn't that make a lot of sense, right? But I had dirt under your fingernails all the time. But, you know, all of these things, I I was your perfect kid. I I did everything that I thought was good to do. And, And then as I was growing up, it was about thinking that I was doing all these right things for God because of all the things I was doing. And I suddenly realized I wasn't measuring up. It wasn't the good fruit. All that was fruit of my own effort. That was fruit of my own production. But the fruit that you and I produce will always be bad fruit. Oh, it may not be all of the list that Paul gave there. It still will not be good fruit because it's not fruit that God himself... Produces in our lives. And yet, this is not about passive Christianity. The idea is once salvation through that relationship has happened, now with all of that change that God has given to me, He's given me the capacity to choose to follow, to choose to do His commands, to do the right things. And I promise you this what God asks of us, He's equipped us to do. We always apply that in the sense of ministry. I'm applying it to your life personally when you find that verse and he says, this is what your life should look like, he's not asking you to self-produce that particular piece of fruit. But he is telling you that you now have the capacity to choose to walk, to obey, to follow, and he'll meet you in that, and that change will come. Oh, sometimes it's difficult because what he's asking of you bumps up against your sinful flesh, which still exists. But as you take stock in who you are, and what he's done in you, and what he's given to you, and you obediently begin to follow, the change will come. The change will come. That's fruit worthy of repentance. And he says, secondly, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John knew that the second thing that needed to be addressed was where these religious men looked to for their spirituality. He knew that these Jewish leaders, like the Jews of the day, were trusting in their racial lineage for their spirituality rather than a God himself. You know, it was widely taught that Abraham was so righteous that his righteousness covered all the Jews that, that came from his lineage, that all of, of Israel would be, would be seen righteous because of Abraham. And so just being a Jew made them right. And, and John is saying boy, if you're looking to your lineage to save you, you're in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. You know, this is a truth I think that needs to be grasped by all people, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. There are a lot of people, although they they might not be looking to Abraham for their spirituality, they are looking to all sorts of, of, of similar things. For some, they're looking to their church membership. You know, my mom, my mom for the longest time believed that she was saved because she was a member in good standing of her church. I say that jokingly, and I'm not mocking now. I know she's, she's not with us anymore today, but she'd sit here and laugh at that as well because she understood late in her life how foolish that was as she began to see the Scriptures. There are people who believe it's their church membership. Some look to the spirituality of their parents. You know, I'm just going to tell you guys, you know, young people, your salvation is not given, granted to you because your parents know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. You need to follow the Lord. Some look to the spirituality of the friends that they hang out. Well, I hang out with Christian friends? We hang out at youth group. It's got nothing to do with where you hang out or who you hang out with has to do with your relationship with the Lord yourself. Some look to the spirituality of their own good works, yet none of these or anything else imputes true spirituality and salvation to any man or woman. Only faith in Jesus Christ alone does that. And apart from Jesus, we are nothing spiritually. (laughs) You know, it's in fact, as Isaiah declares, apart from the righteousness found in God alone, here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah says, man. He didn't say you. He says we. This is us. Apart from the righteousness that's found in God alone, Isaiah had a faint shadow of the Messiah. You and I fully know the Messiah. We know what he came to do. And apart from Messiah, Jesus Christ, this is us. We are an unclean thing even on our best day. And with a thousand good works done, we will still be found wanting. Nope, it doesn't matter what your spiritual lineage is or in, in what you're trusting in. It, if it isn't Jesus that you're looking to, like these religious leaders, you're not going to find what you really need. You will in the end find that you will not escape God's wrath, but you'll face it instead. And John is calling these guys out and he's warning them about it. But I would look at you this morning and say, Be aware of the same thing. It's our relationship with Jesus that saves us alone. But it is our relationship with Jesus that then opens the door for us to bear fruits worthy of repentance. Look on at verse 10. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? It's interesting here to note that this isn't the spiritual leaders whom John has just been addressing who asked this. It's it's not the spiritual leaders. Do you know who it is? It's the listening crowd. It's everybody else. Everybody's been gathered around, and they're paying attention to this dialogue that's going on between John and these religious leaders. And it probably was his intro saying, you brood of vipers. That would get our attention, wouldn't it? <laughs> but they're listening. And look, I just point that out to say this. It just proves that you never know who's listening. You know, I told the group out here this morning, you know what? There's houses all around us, and we got speakers out here. You don't know who's sitting on their porch or in their living room because they hear this going on and they're listening to the message that's being shared out here. You never know who's listening to your conversations, which raises the question, what's the content of your conversations? I'm going to tell you this, if it's Jesus, you never know who's listening and who will be impacted by that that you may never realize was impacted by that because what you did is you scattered seeds. You know, when somebody scatters seeds in a field, they don't see where it's all landing. They just go out and scatter trusting that it's going to land someplace. Not all that seed will take root, but you never know when it does because you never know who's listening. So I just tell you guys, go scatter away, and, and the Lord will reveal the, the receptive hearts to where you can then focus in and share even more if, if he has for that for you to do. But just go share. Just go talk. You don't know who's listening. But now these these crowds that have gathered, and, and they've been paying attention to what John has been saying to these religious leaders, they now ask, what are the kinds of behaviors that evidence repentance in our lives? Hey, John, if, if there's supposed to be something that evidences repentance, what's it look like? What is it? Give us something practical. And John's going to answer their question, and, and he's going to give them several practical things that will characterize the life of a truly repentant man or woman. Now, keep in mind, this is not an all-inclusive inc- list, okay? It isn't just these three, and there aren't any more. He's, John's just giving some examples, because that's what they're asking. Give us some examples, But it's also, understand this, it's not a prerequisite that John is giving them. He's not giving them by this listing of things a prerequisite to salvation, but simply examples of the kind of fruit that will be produced, that will grow out of true salvation. That's all. And so let's look at some of them. Look at verse 11. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. The first practical behavior that John cites for them is a generous spirit. I'll sum it up in that two words, a generous spirit. If you have something that you have enough of to share, then share it with those in need. Go share it. Don't be self-centered. Don't be greedy with what you have. Open your hand freely to those in need. You know, this is nothing new. Uh, it's long been a part of the expectation of the Old Testament law in the Scriptures, and the Jews would know this. You know, it's interesting when Jesus came, we we think that somehow Jesus did did away with the, the Old Testament law. He didn't. He came to fulfill it. We're seeing a fulfillment of it here. What What John, what Jesus will do is they're going to open up more fully an understanding of the heart behind the law, of what God desires, the big picture of what it is that God was looking to produce in men and women that couldn't be produced by self-effort, but most certainly could be produced by saving faith in Christ through the work of His Spirit. But, But here's what the Old Testament said about this issue. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 10. Leviticus 19 and verse 10. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Here he talks to people in the law about if you've got a vineyard planted, well, you could go out and take every grape from it, pull it, completely harvest it for yourself. But he says, this is what I want you to do. You're going to have plenty. Take from the plenty of you got, but leave some around the edges for people to come in and glean who don't have anything. So that they can be blessed too. A generous spirit. Proverbs 19.17 says this. Proverbs 19.17, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. I like that. When we help others, we're not helping them. Yes, we are. But really, it's kind of like the passage in Peter about who we're really serving. We're not serving the government. We're serving God in doing what he commands us to do. It's same thing here. If you're going to obey this and you're going to help somebody that's poor, yeah, you're helping them in a practical sense. But the one that you're really lending to is the Lord. And by the way, you're lending back what he's already given you anyways. You know, it's interesting from that verse, I think to myself over the years here as we've helped people in need, that sometimes people will say to us, well, I, I'm going to pay that back. I'll pay that back. And our answer is always, well, we'll leave that between you and the Lord. We're not requiring that of you. Do you know why? Because we knew that as the Lord put in our heart to help them because we had the ability to help and we helped them, we trusted that, that the Lord would see that he'd pay us back because we were lending to him. We were doing his will. We were doing what he wanted. He'd pay it back. And he always did. Not always in, in the same amount of money or, or resources, but in the blessing of knowing that we've honored him by doing what we were doing. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 through 25. Proverbs eleven twenty There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Here in this proverb, there's a contrast given. The, the the person who scatters freely the idea is scattering what he has freely for others to to benefit from well you know what he increases even more because God gives him the increase God blesses him back and, but then there's the one who withholds more than's right because he's got it to give and what he says is but it leads to poverty for that person well they might have all their stuff but it's leading to poverty in their lives spiritually Because they've made their spirituality about themselves. And you see, that's the key here. The key here is that that, that the idea of a generous spirit is that we would not make ourselves the center of things, but that we would be thinking about others. And here John says a generous spirit is reflected in a truly repentant person's life. And it should be, since a repentant person freely receives the tremendous gifts of salvation and many other blessings from the Lord. It should be a natural desire of those who are blessed to bless in kind as they're able. I have to brag on you guys here at Calvary Chapel who have been a part of this. For years, I have seen this quality in your lives, in so many of your lives. And it isn't because you boasted about it. It's got nothing to do with that. It's because I bump into it every so often. And I realize how many people help so many other people in this fellowship not just by calling him and encouraging him, but sometimes in practical needs and helping. And some of the people who've helped in this fellowship have been the people who've had the least to help with. <laughs> but out of what they had, they felt I can share this. What a blessing that is to a pastor's heart because it tells me that your heart is in the Lord. That You're evidencing fruit of, salva- of your repentance and salvation and-, and God's producing this heart in you and you're walking it out. What an awesome thing that is. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it, especially in a season right now. It has nothing to do... I was not a giving message. You guys give above and beyond. I'm talking about in terms of one another. I'm talking about helping each other. Don't withhold. Hmm. Well, then he gives another one. He says in verse 12, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? Then he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. The second practical behavior that John cites is this. Honest dealings... Honest dealings. Now you'll note that tax collectors were some of the most hated people in in the nation of Israel, and the profession itself was absolutely looked down as a trash profession. Not not simply because of the fact that people didn't like paying their taxes. I mean, how many of us like the IRS, right? I don't think there's very few say, oh, I really like the IRS. I pray for them all the time. And what a blessing they are to me. No, we don't like the IRS because they take our money. But it's more than that for these people. It's because of what these tax collectors represented and because of the way they did it. Number one, they were despised because they were Jews. These tax collectors were fellow Jews who were representing Rome. And the Romans taxed by auctioning off the rights to collect taxes to the highest bidder. And so in that regard, the people saw these tax collectors, their, their brethren, who went into this profession as selling themselves to Rome, who was an unwelcome ruler of their nation to begin with. And these men that collected taxes were seen as turncoats in their society. Uh, Secondly, they were despised because they were notoriously dishonest. They were notoriously dishonest. In order to make a profit for themselves, they added a margin to the tax that they were collecting from the people, which they then siphoned off for themselves. So, for example, if Rome said the tax is, putting it in our dollar figure, $5, the common person didn't know that Rome said the tax was $5. And what the tax collector would do is he would come and say, your tax is $10. Guess what he just did? $5 for Rome, $5 for me. Now, the people knew they were doing this. They just didn't know to what extent each time, but they knew this was happening and it was corrupt. And so not only the fact that they represented Rome is what made them hate them, but, but it was the fact that they were extorting money from their own people to enrich themselves And yet it's interesting to note that even though they served in this despised profession, John doesn't tell them to leave the profession. But what he simply tells them to do is be honest in your dealings. Do it honestly. If it's $5 tax, then charge a $5 tax. Don't charge $10. Do it honestly. But regardless of what the profession uh, a believer might serve in, honest dealings should be our way of life as his people, for all of us. It should be our way of life. This was the expectation of the Old Testament law, and it most certainly is the expectation of the New Covenant as well. It does not matter if you're taking things from people or for, from some organization. Dishonest gain is not for God's people. Yup, that box of pens you stole? Yup. Right? Cheating the IRS, oh, I won't even go there. We need to be honest in all of our dealings because that's the fruit of repentance. That's the the, the fruit, the evidence of our repentance as we walk that out. verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Finally, in giving them this third and and last practical attribute, John addresses soldiers and yet with an attribute that pertains to all believers. And what's that attribute? What's that fruit of repentance? What's that practical evidence of, of, of repentance? Contentment.